0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Performance Car Podcast by Motor Magazine. I'm Scott Nieman. I'm Dylan Campbell. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Justin Capicciano. How are you going? Justin is from Ford, so unlike us hacks who just (laughs) talk about cars and write about cars, Justin actually makes cars, including the car that we're in today, the Ford Falcon Sprint 8, the last of its kind. So that's the car we're going to be talking about today. So Justin, can you give us a quick background about your time with Ford and specifically with Falcons and how you came to be the Sprint Program Manager.
1: Yeah, so um, I started with Ford in 2012. Um, I worked in the finance area. I was there for about 18 months uh, working in the manufacturing site. I was given an opportunity to apply for a job within the product development team and that job was to work on Falcons and Territories as the, what we call the ongoing product development manager. And that job was, was really undefined at that point in time so we, we knew you know we we knew at that point when i took the job over that the falcon was coming to an end and we didn't really know what we were going to do but i was given an opportunity to do the uh the gdf program which i did uh ran that one from start to finish and then as we finished gdf we we quickly moved on to the the spring program so my last four and a half years were, were basically working on performance falcons
0: Excellent. So what were you trying to achieve with the Sprint program? What aims did you have for it, given that obviously the car was coming to an end, there wasn't a whole lot of money around to invest because there was obviously no point for a car that's coming to the end of its life, but what did you want to um, produce with what you had available to you?
1: Yeah, so I mean the one thing we wanted to do was, when we came out of the back end of GDF, we we, we learnt a lot about what the GDF had and what it didn't have. and what we could do to sort of either you know make a different car Um, we knew we wanted to make a different car we didn't want to make the same car as what we'd already done with the gdf we targeted a few different things we targeted things like suspension we targeted a different look we also targeted uh the the turbo was having a lot of opportunity for us to do something really special with and then everything else sort of came from that so you know it was it was something that we I suppose myself and Dave and a few other people from Ford were sit around and we we talk about what we wanted to put into the car, what we thought was a good thing. We worked with our marketing team and they gave us some input from what they thought was the right thing to do. And and yeah, we sort of that was the framework, and then we sort of built it up and built it up from there.
0: So is it fair enough to say that this car, the Sprint program, basically came from a bunch of car dudes sitting around, you know, brain brainstorming like we all do? But I suppose you guys had the opportunity and you know the task to make it happen?
1: Yeah I mean we, like everything you have a certain amount of resources and you know funding or heads or whatever you want to call it to be able to do a car and to make it work we really needed to sort of have a think about what we could actually deliver in that time and there were things that we sort of you know for the V8 I mean one of the things we looked at was you know intercooling the V8 right. It was always something that we wanted to do in the car and we looked at it really like really, really hard for this car but, you know, when we stacked up the entirety of the car and looking at what we would have had to have done to deliver that from when we started to when we finished, we we just realised that we were never going to be able to do it with like the quality and robustness that we, we needed to do to deliver it to a customer. So things like that were sort of hard choices that as a program manager you have to make to sort of guarantee the sustainability of the rest of the program, right? So. You know, that's one example of something that we wanted to do, but we we couldn't really do. Um, But, the offset of that was we were able to put a lot of other things in both cars, like the suspension, the wheels and tyres, that we thought would have given us more bang for our bucks than if we just had a chased
0: she horsepower. Absolutely. Dylan, I'll bring you in at this point, because the sprints, when they were first launched, they, they had a massive, from certain outlets, they had a massively positive, Uh, Review. Basically, you know, there were certain outlets that came out and said, this thing is the, you know, the best four-muscle car ever. It's amazing. We love it. It's brilliant. And you went on that launch, and I remember you telling me that um, you came away impressed with the car, but it was a bit of a limited launch, and you didn't feel comfortable making that definitive assessment when you had had a relatively limited time in the car. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah so it's one of those things, often you go to a car launch and you have like a limited opportunity to try the car um, and when we went to the launch for the sprints in Tasmania there was a huge amount of hype for these cars, everybody was very excited to to see Ford actually you know gone gone all out or as, as out as they could kind of thing with the uh, with the Falcon to build these new performance models, um, and I think a lot of the journalists felt very sentimental about the cars as well, particularly given it was the last Falcon launch ever. And obviously we got to drive the cars but you know our opportunity to sample the you know, the work that Justin and his team had done was a little bit limited, um, and our opportunity to try the cars, what, what most of us got out of it was this sense that the guys had made quite an improvement to the car, and that and that was true. The the Falcon had been, the XR8 and the XR6 had been improved a lot on the uh, on the previous cars, uh, and I think that's the sort of conclusion that most of the journos had arrived at from the launch, and that led to all these uh, very positive reviews. Mm-hmm.
0: And when um, Justin you're very much a realist which isn't always the case in this industry but I mean you you say to me occasionally because you know we're mates and you go look you're very aware of what this car is and what it isn't you mean you're very proud of this car and rightly so but it's not a Porsche GT3 for instance and nor should it be yeah so when you um, I suppose it's a proud moment for you when these reviews start coming out and you read them and go okay how's my work received what were your thoughts when these reviews started coming out you know some of them some of them were, you know, four four stars. Some of them were five stars. Some of the where did you, where did you sort of land on all that?
1: I mean, you, you can't help but be proud of what you've done, right? Like, uh, I think the entire team, and we brought a lot of the team to the launch in Tassie, and you know, we all sort of got together at the end, and and it was kind of like a relief. Like we we'd been doing this for two and a bit years, and we knew that we had something what we thought was really good. You know, for a Falcon, it's, it's a Falcon, right? We wanted to build the best version of that Falcon that we could, you know. But at the same time, you, you were looking at that car in isolation. I think the car was experienced in isolation on that launch in Tassie and some people got some, you know, things like getting some really good acceleration times out of the car on launch. And so that was quite validating for us because, you know, we'd, we'd for, for many years, you know, there's always been this thing about people just not being able to get times out of the cars. but when we came out of that we were kind of like okay the launch hysteria has all sort of died away now what do our customers actually think right like what are the people that are actually going to invest Mm -hmm. the money because what you you guys what wrote what you wrote you weren't going to sell any of the cars for us right like that's not what this that's not what that was about it was to sort of give the people who couldn't have the opportunity to get those cars to give them a flavor about what what we'd actually done right Mm -hmm. and then but when the actual people who'd invested the money into the cars started coming back with the same sort of feedback, that's even more validating, right? Because yeah. that's, that's who we built the cars for. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, myself and Dave and the rest of the program team, none of us own one, right? None, none of us own one. None of us bought one. Um, and we didn't do that because, well, one, we'd never drive our own cars probably as hard as we drove their pro- yeah.
0: prototype <laughs> cars.
1: <laughs> My money's not as long enough to, to sort of cover the amount of tyres and brakes that we went through on the development journey, let me tell you. You were but telling
0: me you had a warehouse full of tyres? Yeah, we
1: did. We had like, um, uh, you know, we basically rorted Pirelli for all the tyres <laughs> that they could give us. And uh, and we used a significant amount of them on, on <laughs> development drives. I um, mean, Brembo probably don't have any brake pads left, but. Very scientific. Yeah, all in the, all in the names of um, development, right? <laughs> um, but. You know, that, that was the thing. It was, it was all about what did our customers think, you know. W- when they got their hands on the car, what did they think? Could they tell what we'd actually done? That was the best bit, right? Like, um, to hear from the voices from the voices of our customers was, was the most validating
0: part. Excellent. Well, you touched on the, a contentious issue with the sprint, which was with mm. the acceleration time. Yeah. And Ford has never actually officially claimed acceleration times, Australian manufacturers haven't claimed acceleration times for probably a decade, maybe more, um, but a couple of engineers off the record would say, you know, we've achieved this. In hindsight, do you wish no one had ever said anything about it? Uh, no, I don't. Like, I think part of it, the, there's always been a
1: bit of mystique around some of the cars that we've done, whether it was like the actual power figure for the GDF or whether it was, you know, what the exact launch times were of these cars. I mean, we have to test that, that's some of the stuff that we know and some of the stuff that we've done um, when we do our testing, but you know, it was always going to come out, like we were always going to have a, a launch time, someone was going to bring a V-Box down and get a time out, whether it was going to be competitive or not, you know, that, that's your job, right? That was yeah. What you, that's what you guys needed to do. Um, and you know, when we started getting the ones out of the launch, like I think um, some outlets got like 4.6 and whatnot. With a couple of people in the car,
0: mm.
1: you know, we were like, "Hey, you know, the, they're in the right sort of vicinity of where we where we're going here." And then, obviously, you know, you guys had your own issues with it at a couple of different, um, couple of different, a couple of different times. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. That's not what you know. We didn't go out and build a drag car. Yeah, we built a road car, right? So yeah, it can go fast, and yeah, it's it's pretty competitive. But the car shouldn't be judged on whether it's finding that last tenth of a second mm. in zero to hundred because ultimately you're never going to know unless you're driving around with a v-box in your car <laughs> and i don't know anyone who does that <laughs> unless it's you guys but like so yeah it's you know would we have liked to see like the best best time like yeah that would have been great you know i know jesse taylor did some stuff with evo and he tried to get the very best time out of a gdf and i think mm. he was very very good at doing that um but you know, I didn't
0: want the car to be judged just by that. I thought and there was more to it. I think that that actually, partially, I suppose, especially for our coverage, because we struggled to match the times that were, you know, were said. And I, you know, I took my hand up because I did most of those times, and I couldn't get. I tried everything I knew. Um, I I'll mean, give,
1: yeah, we were, we were on the phone together. Yeah, right? I mean, like, I'll give you the
0: example of we did a comparison test with the XR8 Sprint. This car. Uh, against an HSV Club Sport R8 at Heathcote Raceway and no matter what I did and I rang up David Byrne and Justin here said okay I've tried everything I know how to know what to do and this car will not I think it got to 5 dead to 100 or four, maybe it was a 4.9 and it should have done 4.6 maybe 4.5 and you know I tried everything I couldn't get anywhere near it and well, obviously we published that and we published it um, you know we tried everything we could and there was a big furor over it. We got slaughtered. And I feel that that's kind of unfortunate because I think it overshadowed the fact a little bit that that car, it didn't win the Comparo, but it did really win well in that Comparo against a car that's probably more developed and, you know, is more modern. And unfortunately, everybody seemed to, you know, centre on the fact that it missed its claims. And Yeah, I mean,
1: look, look, let's look at that, right?
0: You know, I remember that comparison really, really
1: well, and I remember the time really, really well. You know, you put it up against a club sport that cost 80 grand. Yeah. Right? We were charging 60-odd for this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, let's talk about the underdog in the fight, right? Like, this this, this car was punching well above its weight to sort of compete yep. in that space, and that, you know, to get a V8 rear-wheel drive sedan, whether it's an auto or a manual, for sort of 65 grand with, you know, the, the kind of poison balance and speed and, um, acceleration that it had, you, you could not find that anywhere else.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was the irony. We did another video. We did a video on that, a drag race video, and obviously the Club Sport won because it got off the line better, but then we did another one at the end from 50, and the Club Sport pulled out maybe, like, it would be less than half a car length. So, you, any reasonable, you just look at that, okay, the cars are as fast as each other, really, mm. which is the ultimate conclusion, and especially in the driving, you do, as you said, no one goes around with a V-Box whenever they accelerate their car. It's usually you know overtaking or pulling out pulling out on a side road or something, so that's really the acceleration that matters. So I guess from my point of view, um, you know, the sprint has its faults and it has its good points, but I think that sadly some of the furor about the times overshadowed what this car did really well and some of the improvements that it that you made over the stock falcon. And Dylan, maybe I'll let's talk a little bit about the way this car does improve over its standard, you know, the standard the XR6 or the standard XR8.
2: Yeah, I mean the sprints drive quite similarly to the um, to the normal XR8. I find I find the ride's a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, just sort of is a bit more compliant over over some bumps, a bit nicer. Obviously, it's got a, a, a lot more power as well than the than the standard XR8, and that's quite noticeable. Um, yeah, that, it just feels like an enhanced version of the normal XR8 to me. Um, but it sort of addresses some of the shortcomings we found with the with the FGX XR8. Yeah, I
0: mean that's the thing. It's sort of you get in this thing and it, you drive it and it, it is a little bit better in every area and i guess justin is that what kind of what you're going for to improve the base product in that yeah know? i
1: mean you look at when those cars were primarily developed and, and if you look at you know the xr8 when it came out that that the suspension was done in you know 2011 for 2012 and the tires had been on or that those iteration of dunlop sport maxes have been on the cars for in in the 245 size 10 years Um, and tyre technology and suspension technology had come a long way from then and our dynamics team were like really adamant that they wanted to do something more than just put that back into the car again and you know when we went back to them and we said you know what can you do this is like okay this is what what we're aiming for we're aiming for you know more response from the steering we're after better ride control from the back of the car we're looking for a more aggressive tyre that can sort of really sort of Enhance what we can already get out of the front end of the car. Um, Falcons have already been, you know, quite communicative from the front, but the turn-in response has always been a bit latent. So trying to sharpen that up a little bit was something that we really wanted to do, and, and the tyres were a big enabler for that. So you know, putting a really modern tyre on the car was was really key, and then that opened up the suspension, and then that opened up a lot of the benefits that we we're able to get
0: out of the rest of the car. One thing I want to ask you, I'll cover it off now while I think of it, is falcon driving position mm. we ought to get to it we, we uh,
1: anyway. you, you really want those comments don't you? <laughs> oh, i can't wait for the comments
0: i'm excited um you know we we and others you know motor you know have been riding the falcons at a high driving position for many many years and that's because it does we get hit by owners saying it doesn't have a high driving position i don't find it a problem that's fine if you don't find it a problem that's great but you know compared to other vehicles that are around it does have a high seat a relatively low steering wheel but can you tell us why that is the case for instance if you look over dylan's uh there's a there's a gap between the top of the steering column and the actual dash it looks like it could go a little bit higher but it can't i think yeah dave Byrne was saying something about the for because i one of our photographers has a bf yeah and it doesn't have the same the wheel can go higher and i think dave told me that the steering column kind of shifted a little bit for fg or something like that they did
1: they moved the column and there's a there's a thing called the cross car beam which runs across the front of the car um, and there's, you know, you, it's a beam, yep. so you have a column and a beam, and you can't get one to move without the other, right? Yep. So it's like, long story short, that's 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 the reason why you can't sort of move the steering wheel up any higher. Yeah, Skoda um,
0: Octavia has a similar issue, actually, it's very similar. There's a gap above the gap between the dash and the steering. And you think, why can't it go all the way up? But it's probably a very it's probably the same thing. thing. Yep. But
1: ultimately, it's like you know, in a, in a program scope with what we had, that was kind of something that we just. You know, there's no opportunity to do anything there because mm. you, you're ta- you're changing everything about you know crash structure. That you yeah. want you don't mm. want to be doing that for a small program.
0: And the seats are slightly scalloped though in this, or the XR8 are they? We or? did some
1: work on the foam just to take some you know to place foam in different spots and to do different things with the seat just to make it sort of a little bit nicer to sit in. So If you
0: change the seat height, that would be again a crash crash thing, would it? Because it could be. Yeah. It,
1: it depends on how, what you do. There's a, there's a number of different requirements that you have to look at, but. We worked within what we had the ability to work within to try and make it a better thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people noticed the difference, some people didn't. You know, we were always, uh, it was always one of the things that you'd, you'd sort of tick it off on any review. Yeah. Have they mentioned the a C <laughs> thing? <laughs> tick, yep. All right, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. So it's, um you know, we, we, but ultimately it's like that. That's what, not what we wanted to do, to, or not what we wanted the car to be remembered by. We, we yeah. we're sort of looking at other stuff, but... Um,
0: and I mean, I, I find, I don't know if you find this as well, Dylan, like, the, as soon as you get in it, the first thing you do in a Falcon is you try and lower the seat and raise the steering, the steering wheel, light. and you can't. But I find that, like, and we've driven these things on track and whatever, and you, you do get used to it. It doesn't in any way get in the way for me of uh, steering or operating the car. Like, you know, it's not, my, not quite my ideal driving position, but... I also kind of get used to it quite quickly, do you find that as
2: well? Yeah, absolutely. I find that instinctually when you get in the car, you're like, oh, someone's got the seat raised really high, and you go to adjust it down, and you go, oh, that's as low as it goes. If someone's got the steering wheel really low, I'll just put that up. Oh, that's as high as it goes. And then there's a sort of an adjustment period for a little bit, but then after all, you just don't even notice it. Yeah, it's just sort so of like, I mean, from
0: our point, we always got pillory, but for it, I don't think anyone's really, you know, marked a Falcon down necessarily, or lost the Comparo because the seat's too high. It's worth mentioning because it has a high driving position, but equally, you know, you get used to it. So maybe other reviewers have marked it down or made too much of an issue. Maybe we've made too much of an
1: issue about it. Maybe I don't know. But I, you know, your your job is to, like, find find what's in the car that you like and find what's in the car if you don't like. And if you don't like it, you're within your rights to say it. So, you know, I've, I had Falcons for, I don't know, God, four years, five years yep. as lease cars. So I was, like, I was very familiar with what yep. um, what they were and what they weren't. So when I got into this, it, was, it, it kind of felt like home, right? So. <laughs> Hmm. Um, so let's
0: maybe wrap up with talking about I'm I'm springing this on you so you may not have a good answer but I'll try uh, what was you know if if someone had come along with a massive bag of money like you know NBA player contract size bag of money (laughs) 200 million dollars to make the ultimate falcon how far could you have realistically gone with what was an ageing architecture? Like you said, some of the base parts of this car were ten years old. Um, how far could you have pushed this in? You know, with the money no object sort of sense. I mean, without changing like you know body shells and crash structures and stuff like that.
1: I mean, we never really got to sort of look at that, right? I mean, I, I could give you what my what my wish list would be, but yeah. in no way am I recommending that anyone do this or <laughs> that we even looked at it. It was just more like um, you know let's start with the turbo like there's a lot of capability in those engines like people making five six hundred horsepower out of those things with not a lot of work right um and the basic things are is fueling and cooling right Mm so putting a bigger intercooler on putting bigger injectors in and sort of really getting that thing fueled up and making sure that it can make the power and then with the transmission you know doing some stuff on the internals of the transmission you can really sort of open up the about, amount of power that those things can sort of take but you know all that sort of what i'd do if i had my own money and i had my own car and in no way am i sort of looking at what we could or couldn't do as a manufacturer but um and the v8 you know doing the intercooler would have been a great thing i think that would have had a lot of opportunity for us i don't know what's going on with the driving today though but there's some really weird stuff it's happening just on the the road today on the <laughs>
0: just the typical um Typical Australian Lucky the owner's not in the car today. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry Norm Sorry. Oh we should mention actually I forgot to give a shout out To uh, a friend of Motor Norm Who's very kindly uh, Donated his Sprint 8 For us to use for this podcast We'll have another podcast With Norm very shortly Because uh, obviously There are no press cars anymore These cars are all sold We certainly didn't go out And buy one ourselves <laughs> uh, We're journalists um, So uh, but,
1: Yeah in the V8 Like I would have done I would have done something With the unicooler and, and you know putting a bigger supercharger on the thing it's you know you can put a 2.3 litre supercharger on the things pretty easily
0: yeah. and I think um, it's worth pointing out that a lot of people can go out and do these things like you say in the aftermarket but Ford everything you do as a, a manufacturer has to be you've got a massive list of things that not only this car has to go through, but every Ford has to go through internationally isn't
1: it yeah I mean there's, there's a big requirement of you know what you need to tick off to develop a car right and and Sprint was really sort of focused on making sure that even though it was a very small run of cars, it still had to tick off every single requirement. And, you know, even changing the tyres on this car, right? Like, you guys go to your tyre shop and you, oh, yeah, Dunlop or Pirelli or Conti or whatever, and you put them on your car. There's none of that for a manufacturer, you know? It's about tyre selection, and then once you go through selection, it's validation and durability testing, and, you know, there's nearly six months' worth of durability testing to put a tyre on a car, right? That must be terrible. It's it's very stressful, and, um, (laughs) you know it, it's it, for a program like this you where timing all those tires yeah <laughs> it, you know we had to send tires to america yeah. and you know sending cars to america and sending cars to germany and you know literally well there were literally no shortcuts taken on this car to do what we had to do we we had to and we were and and so we should right like, that's our responsibility as a manufacturer is to make sure that we're doing those things to to sign off at, at the highest level in the company to make sure everyone is aware of what we're doing. Because you just don't want to put our subpar pro- product out there, especially an enthusiast one. Yeah. Because you would just get crucified.
2: Yeah. So did you ever consider doing like a W1 style Falcon? And if not, why not?
1: I think... Firstly, I think HSV should be recognised for the effort that they put into their car, right? It's an amazing achievement. Knowing what that would have taken from a manufacturer's perspective. You know, they should be patting themselves on the back, firstly. Um, but we wanted to build a car for our, like our customers, right? And the customers that we had, we, we didn't want to exclude anyone from like saying, well, you, you have to be the very wealthiest customer or the, or the customer who's got the most amount of cars in their collection before they can get one. We, we wanted to really open it up and sort of say, well, this is a Falcon, right? A Falcon's always been about accessibility and providing performance at an accessible level we didn't want to go away from that. And that was really important from day one to not price this car out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. right? Like, we'd done a GT that we, pr- we priced pretty, pretty high up there and that was it, Like right? there, no, there was no going back to that level. And making this car accessible to our fans was really, really important. So that's why we chose to make them, you know, priced at the level that we did. We, we, we wanted to do that. That was a conscious decision, so.
0: Okay, yeah. so to maybe to wrap up, there's a couple of things one, hindsight's a very wonderful thing. And is there anything, you know, now that you've it over and thought about it for like the last 12 months or so that you would have done particularly differently? And I guess following up from that, are there any cool sprint stories that you can now share now that uh, perhaps that the program has been and been and gone?
1: Do you know, as, as, as good as hindsight is, like I had the best time doing this program, right? It was the best job that I've ever had. and. I wouldn't have changed who I worked with or what I worked with or how we did what we did at all. Like, everything happened for a reason and, you know, I couldn't have asked anything more from the people that were working with me or around me to to deliver this car because, you know, even though I'm here with you in the car now, like, I'm just one voice of of a bigger team. There were 15 people who were working directly in our program on this car and then, you know, people in the proving ground, people in the engine lab people in Geelong powertrain who did things on the motor like you know they, they've all got their own little you know bit of equity in this car as well and especially the guy that did the badges especially the guy who did the badges <laughs> he, he i'm gonna make sure he sees this um
0: <laughs> so that's a bit of an in joke but yeah. well, you won't throw the poor guy under the bus so. yeah
1: so <laughs> especially him but um you know the sprint stories like i remember i remember when we were doing some early testing on the turbo and uh, we were at Winton, and it was actually the day when we launched FGX. So we, we had the press on one day. We had the day off in the middle to do testing on Sprint. And then we were, you did a second day of launch, and we had some Sprint development cars there. And we parked them right in amongst all the Journo's launch cars. <laughs> hmm. And no one noticed what was going on, I think. Um,
0: would it have had the brakes as the giveaway. Had then? the brakes, yeah. but
1: like only one journo picked up that the brakes were different, and we just said, "Oh, we were just mucking around with some stuff from GDF program." And we were at the at the track, and every time we we'd do about three or four laps, after a few few goes of it, the um, the intake throttle body would would pop off the inlet because we were still running with the original um, turbo intake and what it was was effectively like imagine like you've got a thick shake and a really thin straw and you suck you suck on the straw and it compresses the straw and that's what it was doing it was it was compressing the intake pipe and then eventually you just get a pressure build up and off the thing would go and it slam into the bonnet and the car would you know have to limp back to the pits and we we'd have a look at it and that's what led to the you know sort of the origins of of looking at carbon fiber for the for the turbo we we were really sort of struggling sort of make sense of how we, could do the, how we could do the intake and match the performance that we needed to get out of it but also meet our, our cost um, targets. And you think of cost and you think of carbon fibre and it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? Like it, it doesn't work together. But carbon fibre is really, really good if you have to be able to just put not a lot of money into the actual tool to make the part and you just can do very small batch runs of the, of the, of the part. And it kind of made sense for us, right? So we're sitting around in Bernie's office one day, like thinking about what we were going to do. And we sort of said, you know, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't make sense of it. We just couldn't figure out. We tried the 5.4, the old FG 5.4 intake, didn't fit. It hit the intercooler pipe. The Miami one did a lot of really weird stuff with the intake noise and hit, also hit the air conditioning pipes. So we couldn't use that. So we really looked at everything that we could take off the shelf and we we, we were going to have to develop something. Um, And then the turbo sort of, so I said, well, why don't we just do it out of carbon fibre? And we sort of said it as a joke. And then the more we sort of refined it and thought about it, the more sense it kind of made. Um, I just remember when we actually said it to our boss for the first time, he kind of looked at me with these wild eyes like, (laughs) you've got to be joking, you're going to put carbon fibre on a Falcon. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. But we, we had really good engineering rationale behind it, and and the guys who, who who led it were were really sort of focused and wanted to do it from an innovation perspective. Because you know even though it goes into this car, it's you know we've had conversations with Ford Performance, you know we've had conversations with um, you know the mobility team in Palo Alto about you know how we got carbon fibre to work for us, and how they can make it work for them. So little lessons, but big big implications for a company, right? So that was. Um, Something that we thought was a pretty cool thing to do.
0: And the final thing is, hopefully, you can tell this story. Can you tell the story about the Bosch people on the autobahn? I can tell that one. Okay, so it's allowed to be to- Yeah, yeah, we can tell the
1: So we were driving. Um, well, we were giving the, the car to do the transmission testing, and they they took it to Germany. And I'd have a weekly conference call with them, and every conference call they'd come back and say, oh, "We found this, and we're going to make this change." And, and we were all just—they're they're professional guys. They know what they're doing, so. We let them go and one of the one of the conversations that they gave us was hey um we've tested this car and we're, we've been on the autobahn and we've been doing some wide open up shifts at fifth gear and i was like wide open up shifts at th- th- fifth gear so that's top of the rpm fifth gear full throttle so i was doing some back of the back of the pad calculations there and i was like so that's 240 odd kilometers an hour at, at fifth gear like the speed limit is at 230 you know what are you guys doing and they're like oh no we just took the limiter off and we're gonna (laughs) so part of me was like so these guys are setting land speed records over in germany with this right hand drive falcon (laughs) on the autobahns and i was like i I was just waiting for some journey to be over there testing something else and to find this white xr6 turbo police car just flying past (laughs) them in the right hand lane or left hand lane Full throttle um you know making up shift noises and, and i was like i was just guys i don't think it'll be a problem so but <laughs> but to their credit they still made the change so if anyone ever finds themselves doing those full throttle up shifts at fifth there is a
0: sliding yeah go. it's and good to if, know it's good to know that it's there if it's needed that's why you test these that's things.
1: why you do it right so Absolutely. yeah
0: well thank you justin for this spending half an hour of your time with us no to problem. discuss the sprint 8. It's been, I'm sure it's been a pleasure for Dylan to drive one of these things again because yes. we didn't think we would ever get to drive one again.
1: I haven't been in one since we actually finished um, production, so it's been a while for me as well.
0: Yeah, it's good. And if you've got one, as Justin said, drive it. Don't put it in a shed. Yeah, That's don't. What he did. All his hard work went to waste. So we'll be back with part two of the Sprint podcast with the guy who owns this car, Norm. Uh, we'll see you then. Otherwise, any comments or questions, let us know in the comments below. We'll see you again soon.